Thank you, Liam, for reading Psalm 1. Didn't even tell you about it, but that's what we're going to start off reading, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. I love it when that happens. It's so cool. Well, just the first three verses, we'll read that again. And it tells us, Look, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 6 now. Luke chapter 6, which will be our main passage this evening. But I want to keep Psalm 1 in our mind, because this evening we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount from Luke's perspective here. And Luke covers this sermon in one chapter when Matthew does it in three, in Matthew 5 through 7. But Luke, this is a very condensed version here. Luke doesn't mention any of the famous passages we might read in Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7. Not like narrow is the way or cut off your hand or uh, love others as you love yourself. They're there, they're alluded to, but they're not specifically mentioned there. Matthew is talking to some a different audience, as Nate mentioned this morning. Matthew's talking to the Jews. And his point there is saying, look, this is the old law, and this is how Jesus fulfills that law. But Luke is talking to the Gentiles, and it comes with a different focus. And so it's hard to even compare these two sermons here. That's why many scholars even believe that maybe this is a second sermon, your version or your Bible And the subheading might even call this sermon the Sermon of the Plain instead of Mountain. But the entire sermon from verses 20 to 49, it's segmented basically into three sections or phases. Like anything that we read or we write, it has an introduction and a body and a closing. And it follows in line with what we just read in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It has the points. Jesus gives this sermon and just expounds on those points. Blessed are such and such. And then you want to meditate on God's law. And if you do that, you'll be like a tree that grows. And in fact, Jesus gives a very similar analogy at the end of his sermon. And so that's going to be our three main focus points this evening. First, the blessings, and then the actions, and then the results. We're going to look at these three, but this evening is very simple. I just want to give a gospel sermon. I want to give the sermon that Jesus is giving here. And you might be thinking, well, that's just for non-Christians. Matthew 5 through 7 and Luke 6, that's for non-Christians. The gospel's for non-Christians to listen to. I've heard every sermon on these passages. But we look at the context of this chapter here, and there's many listening to the words of Jesus with many different backgrounds, from predominant Jewish communities and even Gentile cities. And it's not far-fetched to say even the Pharisees may be listening to the words of Jesus here. But notice how Jesus opens up right before he begins to speak. He says in Luke 6, look at verse 20. What is his focus? He lifts up his eyes on his disciples. I love that. Because it's a little detail that brings the life often what we take for granted when we read this passage. It's almost like we get a, a sneak peek into the intentions and the desires of Jesus in this moment. 
Because he wants his people, his disciples, to really pay attention and listen to his words here. And be ready to apply them. He wants his disciples to know this message. Because they're going to be the ones that carry the gospel into the whole world. They're going to be the ones that need this message more than any other message in their life and in their ministry. And so as disciples today, Jesus is looking at every one of us. He knows that we need this message. And this isn't just a message for the godless. It's a message for his followers as well, for everyone. And so what Jesus wants is for his followers to have the right mindset, the right focus. And that's a spiritual mindset. So many today think life is all about just getting ahead. If I can have these physical blessings and this knowledge, if I can have this influence, then life will be working for me. And Jesus says, no, that's not what life is about. There are spiritual blessings that we should strive for. If the church is going to succeed and last as long as it has, it needs to have a spiritual focus. And it has been successful. And it has lasted this long because of that spiritual focus. And more importantly, because Jesus is king. He's who we follow. And that idea, it trickles down into our lives and to the legacy that we leave. Because Jesus is here surrounded on this plane by so many, by those that are hurt and sick and weak and poor and hungry. And it would be so easy to think that these people here have nothing to pass down, have nothing to offer and nothing to do. And Jesus sees them differently. He sees everything differently. These people, all people, are able to be blessed in the kingdom of God. And that's a great thing, especially when we have a spiritual focus. That's the main idea here. Because what Jesus desires is for his followers to then be that blessing. He wants his followers to have an eternal blessing. And it leads us to our first section in this sermon here. Look at Luke 6, verse 20. He begins with the blessings. And he says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Luke here is recording four of those attributes that we usually are familiar with in Matthew. He says in verse 20, those that are poor. In verse 21, those that are hungry and those that weep. And then in verse 22, those that are persecuted. And there's a difference there when you compare them to what Matthew records. You can see the underlined ones are the ones that Luke leaves out. And what are the difference between what Luke mentions and what Matthew mentions? The difference is between those that are underlined, those that are pure, 
Think of those that are pure and meek and merciful and, and peaceful. Those usually are pretty positive attributes already. They would be considered even honorable attributes. But being poor and hungry and sad and persecuted, no one wants that. Those are negative attributes. They create this image of a person that many who are righteous would consider sinful and hopeless and a waste of time. And at that time, from a Jewish perspective even, many saw the condition of your life as a reflection of your soul. Oh, you're sick. Oh, this happened to you. You must have sinned somewhere and somehow in your life. And yet people still make that mistake. But the point Luke wants to bring home is that for those who are considered ostracized or outcast or sinful, those people, if they desire Jesus, then they are truly to be blessed. And yet no one considers being poor and hungry and sad or hurt a blessing. Jesus is meant to move here and to comfort those dealing with that who are listening to his words And yet what the world considers a blessing is what we see in verses 24 through 26. What are rich and well-fed and happy and likable. Those are the attributes that we're all seeking. Those are the blessings that we all really want in our life. We're striving for those things, at least many of us. We would even consider if you have those in your life that you're righteous and you're honorable, that you must be doing something right if you're rich and happy and full. But what Jesus is doing here in these small amount of verses is trying to create this contrast between those that are blessed there in verses 20 through 23 and those that then curse themselves in verses 24 to 26. And what we learn is that it's not so much about what we have as it is what we desire in life. And what we might consider a curse in life, Jesus says, no, that's, that's a blessing if you have me in your life. There's the difference. Jesus is offering here redemption and hope and the hope of redemption for those that are poor, hurt, and sad, and persecuted. And yet so many think that this life or, or those that hope really is not a tool to be used, that hope is, is useless. Why even have hope in your life? It's nothing. That's delusional. Hope is shown to empower people beyond their imagination. Hope has brought more healing than willpower ever has. In fact, hope has done more good than privilege will ever seek to do. The hope that we receive from God, it isn't empty air that we might sometimes think. It's the reason why we push forward, why we move, why we seek after Jesus, why we're spiritually minded. It spills into our actions, and that's the second phase of Jesus' sermon there. Look at Luke 6, verses 27 to 31. This is the second section here, and it would be easy to look at those, especially in today's society, who are happy and healthy and wealthy and just hate them, often like we look at the poor, in disgust. But Jesus calls all of us to do something different. And he continues with this opposite theme here. He says in Luke 6, 27, But I say to you, the one who hears, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. 
And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Do you notice how these things, these action points here, they are in line with the blessings that Jesus talked about earlier. We should fall in line and do these things that Jesus is talking about. Because this is where what we do, what we do goes beyond just the physical. What we do has spiritual ramifications, as many of us know, but it's a good reminder that Jesus is saying it's a blessing to be a part of God's kingdom and to do what we should do in God's kingdom, to do what is righteous. It allows us to then lead with blessings and to bless others who might not have as much as we do or might even be our enemies. We're blessed by Jesus. We're blessed to be in the kingdom of God. We're so blessed. And we forget that we're the ones now passing on that blessing as we love others. Jesus says, look, if you you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. That really puts into perspective other verses we often quote, like Galatians 6 verse 10. That says, so then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Sometimes we get caught in our life with the bad habit of leaving out the everyone in that passage there. When we as Christians only take care of Christians, when we do that, really, how different are we than from sinners, Jesus says. If you only love those who love you, if you only do good to those who do good to you, and if that person is sitting next to you in the pew, then that's a problem. And what Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't be Christians to only Christians. But even sinners do the same. We should be an example of Jesus to everyone. Just look at how Jesus interacts with his own enemies, the Pharisees. I mean, these are people that are standing in his way and in other people's way, keeping them away from the truth and the life, from salvation. And sometimes, even when we deal with difficult people, we do two things. We either hurt them because they hurt us, or we ignore them and pretend that they don't exist. But a pattern that we see from Jesus, especially when he deals with the Pharisees, isn't that he doesn't hurt them, and he rarely ever ignores them but he engages with them in a loving but truthful way. Look at Luke 5. Luke 5, when Jesus is healing the paralytic here, just within context, he's doing something good. And the Pharisees within their heart, they begin rebuking Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus in verse 22 says, he perceived their thoughts hostile, And he said to them, why are you raising objections within yourselves? Jesus took the initiative to begin dialogue with his enemies. 
Drop further down. Look at Matthew, uh, Luke 5, verse 27, when he speaks to Matthew or Levi, and he says, follow me. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that the Romans and the tax collectors that worked for the Romans weren't exactly buddy buddies with Jesus. And he tells Levi, look, I want you to follow me. And he does. And then later, he's hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And we read as the Pharisees then begin to rebuke Jesus and his disciples. What does Jesus say in Luke 5, 31? Jesus answered them, look, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus goes on not to ignore them or to hurt them, but to communicate with them, to teach them. Now go back into Luke chapter 6. Look at how, again, Jesus continues to deal with the Pharisees. As the Pharisees then now take aggressive initiative to rebuke Jesus and and his disciples, basically for simple things like just picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do? Jesus... He doesn't ignore them. He doesn't hit them. He doesn't call them names. He says in Luke 6, verse 5, after studying scripture with them, he studies scripture, gives a story of how David ate bread out of the temple and comes to this application, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, period. This then leads Jesus to do another miracle on the Sabbath in front of his enemies, In Luke 6, verse 9, when he says, Look, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And then he heals a man with a withered hand right after that. We know that the Pharisees were a big reason in getting Jesus crucified, but we also know that not every Pharisee rebuked Jesus. And what we learn is that from Jesus' example here, that he follows for himself and loving his enemies in Luke 5 and 6 is sometimes the best way to deal with evil people is to show them what good looks like. And so when Jesus begins his sermon, he's already been practicing what he's going to preach. And that makes all the difference. When we say, wow, and we hear and we read about them saying, wow, he spoke and taught with such great authority. Yeah, he spoke and taught with great authority because he told the truth and he wasn't a hypocrite like everyone else in the Pharisees here. We may look at our own past and see ourselves as a hypocrite, but we don't follow one. We follow the Son of Man. We follow Jesus. We follow God. And now we come to that third section in his sermon. And Jesus In verse 37, he says, look, this is the closing. He talks about these verses, and these are the results of living in God's way. That how you treat others, God will respond. That if you judge, God will judge. If you condemn, God will condemn. If you forgive, God will forgive. If you give, God will give to us. And then we read in verse 38, it says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You might read that or see that and think, what does that even mean? I don't even understand the analogy that Jesus is referring to here. 
And Jesus here is making an analogy on how they used to basically measure grain in the market when you go to buy grain. It's very similar to how we might go to, into a barbecue shop and order barbecue. We order that brisket, they cut it up, and they put it on that scale there so that you got the right amount that you ordered off the menu. That's what we're talking about. But to Jesus, Jesus is making an analogy that God wants to measure, measure out so much barbecue that it's overflowing in your life and in everything. That's the promise after this life. But right now in this life and in this physical life, you're the one with the measuring cup. You're the one with the scale. Are you going to skimp out? Do you not give to others maybe as much time as you should or to God as much time and effort as you should? Do you measure out maybe just a little less brisket than is asked for or demanded by God? Because Jesus says, for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so the result then of doing good, of doing what Jesus says, leads to great spiritual blessings. Do you remember what we read in Psalm chapter 1? Verse 3, that we meditate on his law. We're told that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. This is the promise that we have if we listen to Jesus' words. If we listen to these words and we seek after him as if we're going to inherit the kingdom of God. If we do that, then we are like a tree that's planted by this stream of water, this living, never-ending water, and we will be prosperous, God promises us. That is the promise that we have. We have to listen to him. And Jesus basically says, out of Psalm chapter 1, he gives this analogy. Look at verse 43. He says, look, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. How are you going to prosper in your life? Because people will see and they will feel how prosperous you are, not by how much you have or how comfortable you think you are in life, but by how you treat others. Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 45, that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That may be us. We may say, Lord, Lord, and not do what the Lord says. A good parallel passage is Matthew 7, verses 21 through 22, when it says, Look, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me stop right there. Doing what God says, that's how we get to know God. My relationship with God, my future with God only extends as far as my heart is willing to go. And that will deem how prosperous I am, where I'm planted, and what fruit I bear. And yet people say often, look, I don't want to believe in God because I don't want to believe in fairy tales and magic tricks. You want to see a magic trick? Look at the life of a hypocrite who says one thing and does another. That's the life of a magic trick and, and 
hypocrisy, and that's not what we're about. If that's your hang-up in life, then what's keeping you from following God? Why? Because the world is full of hypocrites. And there is not a place where humans are involved that doesn't have hypocrites. But I want you, all of us, as I do, go to a place and worship a God that preaches against that, that acts against hypocrisy. And it's called, you know what it's called? It's called the body of Christ. And it's a great place where there's blessings. And we are the living hands and feet of Jesus' body. And the world would look so much better if we did what he said. And that's what Jesus says. He says in Luke 6, verse 47, that everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. It wasn't just small. It was great. I'll give you a, give you a little story before we close here. I was watching... A, me and the girls are watching the new Bluey episodes, and they're really, they're really good if you haven't seen them. There's a, a new one that came out, and in that episode, Bluey and Bingo, the girls, the daughters, they're complaining to their dad about him being too bossy. You know, you're just being too bossy on simple things like put on your seatbelt and be patient, and they don't like that. And, you know, often my girls and myself, we don't like that either. None of us like being told what to do. But the dad gets in the car, puts the girls in the car, types in the G- into the GPS their destination, and in order to teach them a lesson, just begins ignoring what the GPS is saying, right? Because that's what the GPS is doing. The GPS is just bossing dad around. And so when the GPS says turn left, he turns right. And the girls are like, what are you doing? What, you can't ignore the GPS. We're going to get lost. And that's exactly what happens. They, they get lost. And what it is, is it's just, it's just a fun way to show how important it is to listen to instruction. That This isn't God being bossy here in Luke 6. Absolutely not. It's Jesus guiding us toward a certain destination. It's Luke 6, this message, this sermon is for his followers following him because Jesus is the destination. But you can't get to him if you don't listen to his words and do what he says. And so don't ruin your life and your soul because you didn't build on top of that foundation, on top of the teachings of Jesus. And so maybe it is tonight you're lost and you don't know where to go. You got to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus very plainly says in Mark 16, 16, look, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You want to follow Jesus today, to start anew, to have him wash your sins, be baptized. That's what you want this evening. Come forward now. Always stand and we sing.